going to be reading from chapter 2, and uh, I'll be reading from the voice version. I will take my place at the watchtower. I will stand at my post and watch. I will watch and see what God says to me. I need to think about how I should respond to him when he gets back to me with his answer. The eternal one speaks and he says, write down this vision, write it clearly on tablets so that anyone who reads it may run. For the vision points ahead to a time I have appointed. It testifies regarding the end and it will not lie. Even if there is a delay, wait for it. It is coming and will come without delay. So I wrote, look how pompous he is. Something is not right in his soul. He is not honest and just, but the righteous one will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays the proud man who is always restless. He has a big appetite. It is like the deep, dark pit of the dead. Like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself and collects all the peoples for his own purposes. Will not all these nations rise up their litany of insults? Will they not provoke him with their taunt and mockery, saying, Woe to him who hoards what is not his? How long can he profit from extortion and debt? Will not your creditors suddenly rise up against you? One day they will wake up and will have had enough. Indeed, you will be their spoil. Why? Because you have plundered many nations. Now all who remain will come and plunder you. Because you have made bloody and violent raids all over the earth and ransacked many peoples in their villages. Woe to him who builds his house on such evil prophets, who puts his nest up high, safe for the future, safe from disaster. You don't realize it. But by cutting down so many peoples, you've brought shame on your house. You have sinned against your own soul. For the stone in the wall will cry out against you. The wooden rafter will answer from the ceiling. Woe to him who builds a house, who, who builds a city on bloodshed, and who establishes a town by injustice. Look, is it not because of the Eternal, the commander of heavenly armies, that all the people work for is consumed in the fire? And that all the nations produce comes to nothing. For as the waters cover the sea, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge that the eternal is glorious and powerful. Woe to you who gives his neighbors a drink, who keeps filling their cup with your anger and malice to intoxicate them so that you can uncover their shame and look at their nakedness. Instead of honor, you are going to have your fill of shame. Now drink up and expose your own uncircumcised nakedness, your lack of God's mark. The cup in the Eternal's right hand will come around to you, and disgrace will eclipse your current glory. For the violence done against Lebanon will now overtake you. That terror you showed the animals, in turn will terrorize you. Because you shed blood and wrought violence in the earth, you have destroyed cities and all their inhabitants. What use is an idol shaped by its maker? It is nothing but an image cast in metal. It teaches deception. For a foolish idol maker puts faith in his own creation, a God that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to a block of wood, wake up, or to a silent stone, arise. Are inanimate objects your teachers? Look, it may be covered in gold and silver, but there is no breath of life inside. But the Eternal One is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent in His presence.
Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come with wisdom and revelation to open the eyes of our spirit, to open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, to, to be able to grasp, to lay hold of the treasure that's in this chapter. What it is, Father, that's on your heart to speak today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. And thank you for this word that will strengthen us. Amen. That's a... I was just listening. As I was listening to Daniel, I read it and I thought, well, anyone who's just sort of dived in today or if you're visiting today, it's a, it's a pretty hefty chapter. Um, we, I am in this series just spaced out through the year in Habakkuk and it's... It is definitely a powerful word for today. It, it's, a day, it's, a, it's a word for us now. And um, when I sense the Lord highlight this, this book, um, probably towards the end of last year actually, yeah, there's been so much that has happened in the world in the past year. And you think, and you read Habakkuk and you think, wow. It was as if this scenario or as if these situations or as if these questions that Habakkuk is asking God was happening today. And of course, it's not just for his time. And that's why at the start of this chapter, the thing that God says to Habakkuk is, get out your pen, Habakkuk. You've got to start writing because other people need to hear this. So I've been journeying through Habakkuk and we've um, really just kind of got through chapter one, really. Um, and it's been a combination of probing these questions that um, Habakkuk finds himself asking God in a crisis time, uh, imminent disaster. Uh, God's not really responding the way he thinks he should. God doesn't seem to be, uh, he's just silent. You, you know, have you had those times when you're, you're praying a certain way and you're pretty confident God would be pleased about that and, and what you're praying and the outcomes, but there's just silence, as if he's waiting. It's just silence. And it's in that wrestle as, you know, silence makes us think, doesn't it? It, it makes us wonder. We kind of go, because well, when someone is silent, you're wondering what they're thinking. And you're wondering, oh, did I say something? Oh, did I upset them or did I? And so in the silence, God is, he's already shaping Habakkuk. But the intensity, intensity gets stronger for Habakkuk as the silence continues, as the injustice continues, as the imminent disaster looks like it's just going to happen. Um, and I've tried to let you into some of the context um, around Habakkuk's time and the different prophets who would have been prophesying probably just a little bit earlier, but at the same time as him. And to give us a picture, Jeremiah being uh, the, the, the most notable one, to give us some insight and to hear the words that God speaks through Jeremiah because they give us tremendous insight into Habakkuk's crisis. And so that's what I was doing in the last time I spoke, and I ended with four questions. Um, I'm just going to uh, recap those but speak them um, perhaps in a slightly different way. But the first question was, are you committed to something that God is not committed to right now? Has he been silent? 
What's going on? What's he drawing out of you? What's he drawing out of us? The question, though, really is, if that's the case, are you willing to let it go? The second question um, related to um, families, uh, well, to you and to your family, um, and I asked the question, how will or how does your family, how do you together respond in the day of calamity when things get tough? How will you and your family live now in light of the coming crisis preceding the Lord's return? And I I remember challenging us as families, what's our strategic plan? If we know the end, which we do, then working backwards, how does our family life express or reveal or reflect that truth? Because that's what, that's what a forerunner is, actually. A forerunner is simply one who goes out in front, who goes out ahead, and by their very example, yes, by the words of, of their mouth, but by their example, they're saying, prepare the way of the Lord. So how does your family, do people think to, to themselves, well, that family is really different in the culture. Their standards are different. Their values are different. The way they do their life at home is different. Their priorities are different because that's what a forerunner family is. They're marching to the beat of that distant drum and it's very evident to all. There's a big challenge for us. That's a very big challenge. And then I, I talked about you know, the, the true prophetic and what, what does that true prophetic voice sound like when there's so many voices so many voices wanting to be heard in this generation especially in the midst of all the calamity where is the word that God will own because in Habakkuk's day there was plenty of noise going on there was plenty of Prophetic voices speaking out all different things. And I mentioned one prophet in particular, Hananiah, Hananiah, and Jeremiah actually said to him, you're going to die this year because he was telling the king, two years, that's all. Two years will be done and dusted. It's only two years, don't worry about it. And Jeremiah, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah was, that word is going to cost you your life. And he did die that year because he was prophesying lies in a critical season when the truth is what God wants spoken because he's merciful. And it's the truth in an hour of crisis that is the most merciful thing. Yes, it will offend the hard hearted, but it is his mercy in an hour of crisis. So where are the ones who will speak the truth? Not fine sounding words, but who will warn, who will actually incur the reproach of others because they've studied the word of God and the word of God is burning in their bones. And actually the father's heart is that no one should perish. That's what Peter said. That's why he's so patient, that none should perish. And even in this very final, these final moments before Babylon swoops in and they come three times, 
Each time is more devastating than the first. But even in these final, in these very imminent hours before, days, maybe a few weeks before that first invasion, God is still appealing to them. And in fact, I I hear that when I hear God say, Habakkuk, write down the revelation. I hear him say, quick, write it down and make it plain. Make it understandable as if God hasn't been plain enough. Write it down that a herald can run with it. Run where? Because there's always a present day application for what God is speaking even though I'm going to unpack the distant one. But there's always an application. That herald, and I just, I hear the mercy of God. Even now, get it down. I'm giving the answer. I'm appealing one more time. The exile is not going to be put off. It's going to happen. But I want them to have this word. So that as they are being taken off into captivity, as they are watching the city burn, as they are watching all kinds of terrible and horrific things happen, they will remember this word, Habakkuk. Get it down. Get it down. Write it down. Send a messenger with it. Get it moving. I want to read to you from Second Chronicles. You can turn to this if you want to. Uh, chapter 36. It's verses 15 to 23. It's called... Well, the the subtitle in my chapter is The Fall of Jerusalem. So this is a summary. This is the concluding section of 2 Chronicles. And it is a summary of what happens after all these kings fall. This is the, the final kings of Judah. Israel's already gone. They've already gone into exile about 100 years earlier. Now we're down to the final kings of Judah. They're failing quickly. This is the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them again through his messengers. This is the chronicler writing. Again and again he sent word to them because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. That was in fulfillment of prophecy. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. Listen to that. You see, they hadn't been observing observing the Sabbath rest of the land. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. What that is saying is that for 490 years, they did not observe the Sabbath rest of the land, which was supposed to occur every seven years. 
So one year in captivity for every Sabbath rest that they missed. This is what Jeremiah prophesied. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up. And may the Lord their God be with them. 70 year mark. As prophesied by Jeremiah. That's like a summary of what happened. Let's go back to Habakkuk. Here we are in chapter 2. So God's response to Habakkuk's questions. It's, um, it's confronting. They're confusing. Um, what God says is unexpected. And I, I can quite imagine that Habakkuk, because, you know, when you go through something like this, I, I call it a crisis of, pay, of, of faith. And I've had two or three in my life where things have gone radically different to what I thought. Or my understanding of who God is was shifted radically. And I can imagine him thinking, is it possible that God is not who I thought he was? Or is my whole way of thinking... An illusion? Is it based on deception? Have I been worshipping a God that I don't even know? I wonder if you've ever thought that. Had similar. Or maybe a trial big enough hasn't hit you yet. In Habakkuk chapter 2, it's like God picks him up and, and his questions and he carries them into the heavenly throne room. That's what it's like, where he's seated, because he's got things to say. You see, Isaiah 40, verse 22, God is seated far above. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He's governing the affairs of his created order. From that perspective, he now speaks. That huge perspective, he now starts to speak. And he tells Habakkuk that the the revelation he's about to receive must be written down and carried far and wide by herald. I mentioned that. For the revelation far exceeds. It goes beyond the current crisis. We'll get to that in just a minute. I'm just giving you the dot points. He also, God also reveals in this chapter two, the essential characteristic, the essential characteristic of the person whose life honors and pleases him that's a good one god also describes in chapter two takes takes up most of the chapter actually the condition of and pronounces five woes against any nation or society that descends to the level that will eventually bring the judgment of god That's what's going on there, that description. So some important ideas in chapter 2. I'm going to go through these quickly. First one, first one to notice is is actually the prophet himself. When he has, he's having a crisis. He's having a serious crisis. And whilst we can read this, these three chapters in maybe 15 to 20 minutes, I don't know, depends how slow, fast you read. I read slow. (laughs) 
But we can read that and it goes boom, boom, boom. I doubt it. I doubt it went that fast for, for Habakkuk. How long? Did you hear that? How long, God? It's taking some time. How long must I call for help? And you do not listen. How long? You had that cry in your heart? How long? Finally, finally God answers. On the day of his answer, it produces shock for Habakkuk. Not comfort the way he's hoping. And it leads him to then continue to ask questions. But look, chapter 2, verse 1. He's got some good questions too. And that last one, right before chapter 2. Is he, is the king of Babylon, is this tyrant, is this one who's actually a really good fisherman, and that's why it uses that metaphor, that language there in those few, few verses. Is he going to keep on emptying his net, putting it out again, pulling it in and destroying nations without mercy. I've often, I've, I've thought this to myself in prayer, pray, praying for tyrants. And I, I remember for a season of three or four years, I was reminded of this, this week actually, in a conversation with someone. Do you remember we used to pray, we used to pray every week for Zimbabwe. How many of you were part of that? Come on. Yeah. Every week. We used to pray for God's mercy and his deliverance and everything that was happening under the president, under Mugabe. It was like, God, how long? How long, God? That's what he's saying. How long? But in chapter 2, he says, he comes again and he says, I'm going to stand. Listen to the wrestle. Listen to the determination. I will stand at my watch. And I will station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this com complaint. And I discussed that last week. And I think that's the complaint. It's not just his complaint. It's a complaint that's very loudly being spoken at this time, even amongst the priests and the prophets who are becoming more and more unfaithful. That's what the word of God says. And then the Lord replies. So that's the thing that captures me right here. Is this persevering prophet, even when the answers coming back to him are not the ones he's hoping to hear, he continues to just like he's just hanging on to God it's almost like he knows if I let go of him, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get swept away. I have to cling to him. I have no other hope. And he clings and he stands and he takes his angst and he takes his confusion and he takes his desperation and he intercedes because he believes that God will answer. And he has not given up. On a faithful God. It's like he's trying to work him out. It's like he's saying, I know God's faithful, but I just don't get it. And he goes into that place. How many, how many of us shrink back at that point? Not, not confident and offended, actually, 
by what God might say next. And that's the point we step back and go, well, I don't get it. I guess we just kind of have to get on with it. You know, come on. God actually wants us to search him out. You know, when he invites us to search him out, that means he's become, <laughs> he actually wants to share something more of himself. And that's exactly what happens for Habakkuk right here. Then the Lord replied. Here it is. Write down the revelation. Now, your, your translation may say vision. I, I'm just trying to put myself in, in the situation. Write down the revelation. Well, to me, that's kind of like make it plain. In other words, what you've just seen, Habakkuk, right? What you've just seen. I believe God takes him up. I really do. I believe it's one of those come up here and I will show you moments, right? That John had. And he was caught up in the spirit. Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. And God, who's seated above the circle of the earth, goes, Whoosh. you thought this was the main game? Let me show you the main game. And then he says, okay, get your tablet out, Habakkuk, because I'm going to give you the revelation. I want you to write it down. Write it down. Make it plain on tablet so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation, you thought it was just for this, but I've just shown you it's for far more than that. It awaits an appointed time and it speaks of the end. The end. The end. When you see the end at the end of a book, it is the end. Story finished. New story beginning. End of the age. That's what he's talking about here. It will not prove false, though it linger. Even if it's delayed, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So much in those verses. Um, and I've written in my, my side notes here, a call to be a forerunner. You know, let a herald run with it. That was just the first thing that came to my mind. The call to take it and declare it. That's what, that's in here. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. I want to ask you to turn right now uh, in your Bibles. I want to look at this verse. Um, oh, no, hang on. No, no. Wait a minute. A few more things here. Um, okay, I'm torn between my PowerPoint and what's going on in my head. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on. I'm just going to keep going. So turn, turn to, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 39. No, 36 and 37 at this point. Okay, we'll get to 39 in a minute. Because here the writer to the Hebrews quotes directly from Habakkuk. This exact, what's going on here, what I just read. Habakkuk 2, verse 3. Here is what the writer to the Hebrews, and this is in a passage where there's encouragement to persevere, to endure, to keep going. And what comes, what's the chapter comes after chapter 10? Chapter 11. You all know what that chapter is, right? The great chapter of the heroes of the faith. 
So these are the preceding thoughts before he launches into. And this is what faith is. And then he lists off all these amazing people. And you go, oh my goodness. Right? And we, I love that chapter. These are the preceding comments. And you'll notice that in Hebrews, the he, or the rather, yeah, the it in Habakkuk, write it down, make it plain, it, it, it speaks of the end, though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come. In Hebrews, it's changed to what? He. In Hebrew, it's he. Now, if you were to read the Septuagint, oh, which none of us read, me either, you would know that actually in Habakkuk, it was, when it was translated from the Hebrew to the Greek, it was he. I don't know why it changed. There's just a little thought for you. Okay? So it's he. And this is what the writer to the Hebrew says. Simply endure. Say that. That's so easy. Simply endure. This is awesome. It's just making fancy things plain. Simply endure. For when you have done as God requires of you, you will receive the promise. Yes! This short life, 70 plus years, and not even that for some people, it's just a blink, right? And then it's eternity. Are you down here or are you up there? Where's your perspective this morning? Yeah. Then you will receive the promise. Yes, for eternity. Yes, as the prophet Habakkuk said. Yes, in a little while, only a little longer. The one who is coming will come without delay. In a little while, he's coming. (laughs) He's coming. In a little while. And some of us in in this room, maybe we're going to see him because we're going to leave this earth and we're going to see him in a little while. And others in this room, in a little while, with your very eyes, maybe you're going to see him. The one who is coming will come without delay in a little while. Wow. This revelation reminds me of Daniel 9. Think, Daniel 9. What's going on in Daniel 9? Must have something to do with Daniel Yes, the prophet Daniel, who is actually, in in this context, he's growing up in the court and he is about to be taken off to Babylon because he goes in the first lot of exiles because he's a royal prince, okay? Very learned, very skilled. They want all the best first. Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. He's an older man by now, but we know he's, he's had to stand up And not eat food that's defiled. He's had to spend time with lions. He's had to, you know, I mean, he's nearly died for standing up many times. But God's used him as an advisor to the king's council. (laughs) Oh, man, he's been so influential. And he ends up being head of the Magi. And I believe he told them the, the prophecies. And that's why they ended up in Jerusalem when Jesus was born. But that is a big bunny trail. And right now we're just going to stay with Daniel in chapter 9. So Daniel in chapter 9, he has read Jeremiah's word. He's read that letter to the exiles. He was already in Babylon when that letter came. A herald was carrying that letter. And in that letter, Daniel took note of it. Because Jeremiah said, 70 years, 70 years, 
and then you will return. So Daniel's, I don't know how he's tracking it. But he's like, this is the 70th page. Right. It's going to happen soon. So he begins to intercede. That's what's going on in Daniel chapter 9. Big, long intercession. <laughs> Big, long prayers. Fasting and all that sort of stuff. All sorts of stuff. I, I, you know. Anyway, Daniel, he knew. He's waiting. Daniel chapter 9. And you know what happens? I don't have time to go into this in detail. But God sends a messenger to him and Daniel's expecting some response to his 70 year gig the, the thing down here you know it's the 70th year so Lord just just beam us back and God goes well it's called like he goes Whoosh, but actually he sent an angel down but I think it was one of those experiences as well and the angel basically unpacks the most, one of the most significant prophetic messages in the scriptures, like in a paragraph, super detailed about the first, the coming of the, the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah at the end, the end, the end, just like Habakkuk. He tells him about the end. I mean, I mean, Daniel's just asking about like, can we go back now 70 years? And he gets this, huge download because he gets up there because he's so wanting to hear God's heart. He's so full of faith. God speak to me. God goes, oh, I love you, Daniel. Here's the big picture. Just like he did to Habakkuk, just like he did to Isaiah and others, John, you know, catch him up. Whoa. John's like almost 90. And, and he's been told, yeah, you're going to prophesy again. Come on, John. I'm getting you off this island. You didn't think he, you were here to die, did you? No, you're going back to, you're going back to Ephesus and you're going to tell this message and you're going to send these letters to the churches because I want everybody to know how merciful is God. Are you seeing? Can you see God's desire to get the word out? And to raise up messengers who will get the word out? What do you think is the most important thing God wants you to be telling others about right now? That's a rhetorical question. But think about it. I mean, we have lots of things we want to tell people about right now. You know, how to live a really good, happy life and make good decisions and choices. And most of all, give a life to Jesus. And God is going, will someone please come up here? Oh, someone please come up here. Because the end is near. Is this making sense? I'm not saying these things aren't important. These things weren't. These th this was important to Habakkuk. It was important to Daniel. It was important to Isaiah. All those guys. But God. But God. Who is his equal? Do you want to really know what's on his heart. He is getting so excited about the return of his son. <laughs> That's what's really on his heart. Yeah. Are you ready, equipped, willing, available to get out with this message? Do you even know what the message is? The forerunner message 
is spelt out really nicely in Isaiah 40, if you want to know. So right after Hezekiah has just, this is a king, this is a little, little bit further back now, his, grand, his grandson was, um, his son was Manasseh. Manasseh's grandson was Josiah. Okay, got context now? Josiah, revival, Habakkuk. Okay, all right. So back here, Hezekiah. You know what? He entertained these visitors from Babylon. There's a long story in that. Anyway, he ends up entertaining these visitors from Babylon. Of course, everyone was happy with Babylon right then because uh, they weren't the big, the big troubleshooters. But he shows these guys from Babylon takes them into the temple treasury, for goodness sakes, shows them all the wealth. This is not good diplomacy. Shows them everything they've got. And well, perhaps you say it is good diplomacy. I think it's not very, very good wisdom. After these guys leave, Isaiah comes to him and said, who were those guys? Hezekiah tells him. Remember, he's the king of Judah. Yeah, and Isaiah says, you know, he says, here's the bottom line, Hezekiah. Those guys that you showed everything to, they're going to come back and they're going to take everything. Not in your lifetime, but in your generation, you know, your grandchildren's lifetime. You know what Hezekiah said? He thought to himself, he said, oh, that's, yes, thank you for that. Thanks, Isaiah. And he thought to himself, it's okay. At least it won't be in my lifetime. And then it moves into Isaiah 40, the forerunner message. Regardless of whether you think or have any idea when Jesus is returning, if you're alive in the earth right now, our mandate is to pass this message on. Not to think, oh, it won't matter, I'll be done and dusted, you know, six feet under, whatever that people say, whatever. Doesn't bother me. You know, he said that, and yet God told him that his own descendants would be eunuchs in Babylon. Do you know who was a eunuch in Babylon? Daniel. He's like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. How fatally short-sighted was Hezekiah. So God introduces Habakkuk to a global and eternal plan. Habakkuk waits on him, and God speaks. The revelation, God's global, eternal plan. He gets a huge download. <laughs> I don't know about you, I've read Habakkuk and thought, what happened at the end of chapter 2 that led to this incredible song in chapter 3? I can't quite get it. Have you ever thought that? Like, what? I'm scanning chapter 2. What was so amazing in chapter 2 that changed everything? He had an encounter with God and his perspective was changed. You know, in Colossians it says, fix your gaze on things above where Christ is seated. That's, that's what we're talking about. When you fix your gaze, when you, you spend time through the scriptures and that is what gets into you, you look at life different. If you're just worried about the day to day, we are so easily upset, so easily rocked, right? So easily ruffled and concerned and weighed down with troubles and anxieties. 
Let's get our gaze up. I have just noticed the clock is not working and I have no idea what the time is. Can someone just tell me? <laughs> 11. Time to wrap it. Okay. I am actually going to speak next week <laughs> as well. <laughs> so we will get to this. The person on the um, visual media always has an interesting time when they're flicking slides for me because they're like, no idea where she is. <laughs> and then suddenly, bang, there's a slide. <laughs> so we'll use the same PowerPoint next week and hopefully we'll get a few more up. <laughs> because we've actually got the best bit is coming, right? The best bit is coming. The aha, <laughs> the thing that strengthens us all. Have you been strengthened this morning? Okay, well, I think it's time to finish then. That's the most important thing. But the moment, <laughs> the awesome, the awesome stuff is yet to come in chapter 2. And it's, it's just an amazing chapter and then followed by an incredible concluding finale, chapter 3. All right? And we want to know, don't we? We want to know how to live in a way that pleases God in a season and a time that is horrendously difficult, that challenges us in ways we've never been challenged before. And particularly this is the West, I feel, because many nations in the world, they know what it is to be persecuted for their faith. We do not. We do not. And we haven't had to speak and endure significant, severe reproach. But it's coming. Be encouraged. It's coming. It has to come. Right? Are you up there? Because the end is near. Hallelujah. It has to come. Can I have a cheer for that? <laughs> so come on. Let's, look, let's get our gaze up. Worship team, we're going to sing a final song. It's a great song. It's an old song, kind of oldish, but I requested it. It's called Oceans. You call me out. You call me out. Now, don't sing this lightly. You call me out upon the waters. Yeah? Let's stand together. And as we're closing, as we're finishing... Just be still right now and just ask yourself this question. What is it, Lord? What is it? What is it that you've raised for me this morning? What is it that's gripped me today? What am I going to go away thinking about? And how will that change? How can it change? But don't think your own strength. Start with Jesus, okay? Because he hears the faintest but sincere cry in our hearts. Whatever that is this morning, he hears it. And he's saying, come on, come up higher. Come up higher. I'm looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to me eyes of the Lord going to and fro across the earth looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully 
for him. Stop asking him for a platform. Stop asking him for a majorly significant impact in the earth. If he's got that for you, he can give it to you just like that. What he needs is ordinary people. Ordinary people who will love him with all of their heart. Who will take the word of God into their hearts and let the Holy Spirit bring revelation and then they go into their ordinary life and they speak it and ordinary people see Jesus Amen